This episode of Beer and Bullshit is brought to you by Woodhouse Brewing. Woodhouse's lineup of beers is brewed to perfection and best enjoyed in the company of close friends and family. Check them out today at the LCBO or visit them at the Toronto Brew Pub with a newly opened patio. Yes! Welcome to the Beer and Bullshit Podcast. I know you're turning in for the very first time because this is the very first show. Uh, My name is Ben Johnson and I am the host of this show. You may know me from such things as the internet, where I occasionally write about beer, mainly on a space appropriately named Ben's Beer Blog. Uh, I felt that we needed some more opinionated male shouting on the internet, so here we are. Now I have a fucking podcast, too. The name of the show is Beer and Bullshit, and you can expect a healthy dose of each on this show. Uh, Every other week, I'm going to interview someone interesting related to the beer industry, and in the in-between weeks, I will be conversing with my good friend Chris, thus Beer and bullshit. Uh, you can tune into the interview weeks if you like. You can turn into the uh, talking with my friend Chris weeks if you like. You can turn into both. You can turn into none. I don't care. I'm not your dad. You do what you like with your life. I've got a pretty good lineup of guests uh, scheduled to be interviewed for the show. Uh, but for my first show, I wanted to bring something rather large and splashy. So uh, today I'm going to be interviewing Greg Taylor. Greg Taylor is one of the co-founders of Steam Whistle. Uh, he, along with Cam Heaps and Greg Cromwell, launched Steam Whistle in 1999. They are the three, uh, I would say, now famous fired guys. If you've ever taken the tour of Steam Whistle, you already know their story. But uh, they worked for the Upper Canada Brewing Company and were laid off when the company was purchased. And they went on to found uh, one of Canada's premier craft breweries. Greg uh, was asked to retire around 2017. And Steam Whistle has gone on to do some interesting things in Greg's absence. And now he's back. He's been asked to return. Greg is now, uh, in title, the co-founder and CEO of Steam Whistle. So he and I had a chat recently about what it means to be back, the journey that brought him to this place, and uh, what he sees for the future of Steam Whistle and for craft beer in Ontario. Give it a listen. It's the first interview, hopefully one of many uh, and thanks for tuning into the show. It has an online space at beerandbullshit.ca. It'll be the space where episodes are posted, and there is a contact form if, for some reason, you'd like to contact me or make an inquiry about this show. Um, and without further ado, here's my interview with Greg. So yeah. you're back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, it's quite a journey, I'll tell you. It's, you know, starting doing uh, part-time deliveries in 1988 for the Upper Canada Brewing Company. Yeah. Uh, you know, time goes by so quickly and, and uh, you know, left the brewery. I'm back now and just really feels like the perfect fit. I mean, we started the, started the business from nothing, right? So, so it really defines me to some degree as, as a person and defines my career. And it's hard to leave that behind completely. Yeah. I was thinking about uh, this today. I mean, at this point, the three fired guys, I mean, most people in Canada know that myth at this point, but 
it, there's been a, it got to a point maybe a few years ago where if I got one more, you know, press release that a brewery was opening because some buddies were sitting around a campfire and decided to start one, like it got to be a cliche, but I think you were probably have, uh, you know, actual rights to the first person to use that story in Ontario, given how long ago it was, but that is basically the legend, right? Yeah. Now it's like, uh, this seems like it happens every other, every other week. Well, apparently it's happened a thousand times since we started. <laughs> um, and, and it's true. I think that, uh, that it, it's only natural that, that people would follow suit and, and pursue their own personal dreams. And I, you know, I fully support anybody that does. You built a company up that's probably Canada's best known craft beer company. And then you were at the point where you were, you know, providing those talks and you got to that level. And then you decided ostensibly to retire, right? Is that, is that the, the story? I mean, when you walked away, is it, was it was like, okay, this has been enough or I've done everything I need to do with this company? Well, to be honest, Ben, no, it was a situation where the board felt based on uh, the direction the business was heading that they, they needed new leadership. And, uh, you know, that may not have been the story that came out at the time, but, um, and, you know, related to what we first talked about when I got on the phone, generally it's hard to find out what actually happened, but uh, what I could say is that, you know, the board, that board at that time felt that leadership was required, maybe that brought new sophistication to the business, more professional management. And I, and I will say it's often the case with entrepreneurs that as the business grows and scales, it's more difficult for those people who started the business from nothing to offer um, all the skill sets needed to continue to grow the business. And, um, uh, and you know, sales were not what they had been before. Um, by 2016, the industry was, was struggling with so many entrants and craft beer growth is starting to slow down in the U.S. And, and in Canada, which really probably started in 2014. Larger brands um, who had a, a naturally a larger share of the pie were seeing uh, lots of competition, lots of entries, and when the pie isn't getting bigger, it's, it's a, it's a, it becomes a, a tough battle. So yeah. um, as a result, uh, Sybil and I left, and, and Cam stepped in and, and uh, took over the business. And, and Sylvia and I went on our way to, to um, uh, other challenges in, in cannabis. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why I didn't hear about it, because Sybil left and she was amazing at communications. <laughs> that's, that's one of the reasons, for sure. So is this, this must be a bit of a, I don't know if you'd feel like vindicated, but I mean, it's almost like, okay, yeah, they need me back. It feels a bit like Steam Whistle lost its way, and then it feels like you're coming back to right the ship at least from an outsider who doesn't know what the board talks about. But I feel like, I mean, Von Bugle happened. The trolls got to have a field day because your slogan was always do one thing really well. And everyone's like, well, now you're doing two things. So <laughs> was that, were you there for that with the Von, when Von Bugle was developed and that strategy was developed as well? No. no. Okay. So, so when I left um, prior to that and, and uh, prior to the construction of the, second brewery so you know we left at a point where do one thing was still fully engaged and you know we again the truth there is we worked at the Upper Canada Brewing Company and when we started Steam so we said hey let's simplify the model let's ensure quality make it easier for everyone here who works every day to uh, to be consistent with what we do and, and work on just making one beer better yep. um, because we knew the challenges of having multiple beers in multiple SKUs. 
And, uh, and that, uh, you know, it, it was hard to believe, but the consumer picked up on that and said, Hey, you guys are like, they started asking us, you're only doing one beer. Like, what's that all about? And you said, well, it's, it's a good quality, but getting it right. It's not, especially with Pilsner, it's not easy to do consistently in craft beer. It's all natural. You don't have any help. Right. So, um, it, it worked for us. I, I you know, I, I my guess is that at the time we're thinking if this doesn't work, if we don't grow our business, we'll move on to something else. But pretty quickly, Ben, it was apparent that we, we needed to increase capacity because we were, we were selling a lot of Pilsner. And, right. and there were not a lot of craft Pilsners out there, I, I believe because of those challenges with, um, with bringing a, a good one. So we just, you know, 17, 18 years later, we, we continued to roll, roll along and then Silva and I left the business. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting now. It's it's shocking to think about a brewery opening with one beer now. Because, I mean, now people are walking and they're running before they walk, right? They open with, they've got like five flagship beers. I'm like, I've never even heard of your company. Like, what is happening here? I'd still say there isn't a lot of great cream or like craft pilsners on the market. It's it's definitely something that people struggle with doing really well. I But I also always thought like the minute Steam Whistle needs to, you always have that in your back pocket, like, okay, there's a second beer now. And I, I was a critic of the way the second beer was rolled out. I thought it could have been done a lot differently. Like this whole time you could have just said, you know, okay, we're going to do two beers now. So I, the Von Vugel thing was a bit of a, a bit of a head scratcher. And then I guess I, I, you weren't there for this either, but the, this purity seal, like <laughs> I, I have had so much fun making fun of this stupid piece of tinfoil. <laughs> But well, I don't like, maybe you can't speak to the, the idea behind that, but it seems so like that was when I was like, something's up at Steam Whistle because you guys have had such, you've been so aligned to greening initiatives the, the entire the time the company's been in business. And all of a sudden you were just adding a piece of waste. And I, and I, it just was, I was like, okay, I need to figure out what's going on with this company. And I, to be honest, I, I'm still not a hundred percent sure. I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is like, what happened there? Like what was marketing, you know, making all the decisions, which can sometimes be disastrous or. So I guess, you know, one of the things that I should say about that period of time was that I was not um, really involved. I hadn't until I, I came back to the brewery, you know, maybe three weeks ago, I had just have not been involved at all. Like I haven't, although I'm, I'm still an owner, I wasn't on the board and I've had nothing to do with any of that stuff. Not that I thought it was bad or good. I just um, so you understand, I, I had no. Uh, You're being very democratic. I appreciate. And any of that, yeah, I tried to do my best. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I, I will. Uh, you know, in, in in returning, Ben, you you come into a situation where the ship is different than it was when you were last at the helm. Um, but it, it's my nature not to make any um, hasty decisions and, and you know start uh, uh, making choices that that aren't well thought out. So. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm taking the time now. And in fact, I'll mention the, the foil top. Um, uh, I'll, I'll admit that I wasn't 100% sure what the uh, idea was there. But it just turns out in COVID, several people are saying, hey, this seal thing's a good idea. I, I know. I, I, almost had to, I almost had to eat my words after the fact because I was like, but I still, I, I actually want to do like a, this is, I don't have the technology, but a side-by-side -side comparison of the bacteria that's actually on one with and one without. I don't know if it would show up or not, but I mean, I'm, I'm a germaphobe at the best of times. So I'm like on, I'm on Howard Hughes lockdown at my house these days. Like everything gets wiped down and sterilized. So maybe the purity uh, seal 
somebody I, named I get something. it. I'm done similar actually, but so this is what I'm thinking. If you see this video on an, on an Instagram um, that shows the process, and the, and the idea is okay. So this is now like post COVID, or at least in COVID, you know, you're you're sterilizing top of the can, and then you're you're capping it off. Um, yeah. So I can't tell you personally what's in there. We could do some tests. But Sam Pellegrino has been doing it for years for, for a particular reason. And some other European guys have done that. Yep. And, you know, my guess is the unfortunate truth about a can is it is sort of shaped as a, a great method of capturing anything. Yeah. And ensuring that once you open it, it's going to go in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the it's, a downside, mouth, it's a little mouse shit ashtray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, even the thing about single cans in the LCBO, or any environment where single cans are available to consumers, you know, unlike a bottle top, like our, especially like ours, non-twist, there isn't that protection until, until we brought that, that foil in. So, and I'm totally being honest here, this, this is where my thoughts are today. Mm -hmm. um, it is, it might not be a bad idea. Yeah. You know, when we come back. Now, and it is recyclable. I know it's a small piece. So, if you had asked me this a year ago, I would have been, listen, I'm not, even, I, no, no comment. Right. Yeah. But, uh, Hey, uh, it's, I, I will, consumers have said to me, people, friends have said, this is actually the case. So I pulled this off and no one's, this is all mine now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Maybe it was a, somebody knew something was coming before we did. <laughs> so since, uh, since Von Bugel and the purity seal, there has been another beer added to the lineup. Does this, do you think this will be a direction that Steam Muscle will continue to take under you? Or, I mean, like maybe it's too early for you to say, but ostensibly well, you've got, well, four beers given your, your contract with, with Fat Tire if you wanted to count that. But Steam Muscle is doing a lot these days. Yeah, and you're talking to, to the do one thing guy. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, for me, what I've always um, thought was important is to simplify the equation. Yeah. Uh, so what I will say is that we're we're currently on hold in terms of launching anything new. Okay. Um, I think we have a lot of work to do in terms of introducing brands that have been introduced just in the last year. So um, you know, let, let's see what happens there, and gives me some time to just settle in and understand the thought behind um, introducing the new brands, and 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 also see how well they're doing. I mean, you know, we've uh, some of the new brands that have been introduced. Uh, have potentially a great future and I don't want to um, get in the way of that. There's just no way I'm going to allow that to happen. So, so I'm in a great position to just let's see how things go. And, and, you know, post COVID it's a whole new world. Yeah. Um, the one thing is, is no question is behind us now. I think without it, we wouldn't have become from my perspective, the most popular, not only uh, craft brand, but a premium brand in the country. So uh, it's, it's provided great opportunity to us and uh, it's all up from here. I, I tell you right now, fingers crossed, our sales have been amazing in COVID. Yeah. Um, I think in particular because we're a trusted brand and we have um, multi-packs, larger packs in, in the beer store. Yeah. Um, so sales are great. And it you know, seems I, to be, it seems to be the style people are craving. Like I have been less adventurous in, COVID times, like I would love a Pilsner or a lager. Like I'm, I don't know if people are going back to what they know and what's like the com comfort food version of beer, but 
I feel like there's been a lot of like lager sales and Pilsner sales and I'm not like splurging on crazy barrel aged stuff while I'm sitting at home during the pandemic. And I've heard other people say similar things. So maybe you're well positioned there. I think maybe that might be the case. Um, there's, there's like you mentioned comfort food. The truth is that Stu Whistle has always been a gateway craft beer. And uh, I, I think we're responsible for bringing quite a few people into the space that mm-hmm. have, you know, were first, you know, you're, everybody at one point, I mean, I drank Labatt's Blue when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at some point, everyone takes that step. And I think over the last 20 years, a lot of people have taken that first step with Stu Whistle and, and other gateway craft beers that are out there. Um, but it just so happens now that the, there's comfort in that. And, and also we're, we're Canadian and independent and all these great things that are important to people nowadays. And the province is doing its best and the, the Canadian government to try to promote Canadian and locally made stuff. So craft is in a great position and, and we're, we're fortunate to be in that situation. So have you kept tabs? You mentioned the government landscape. I mean, you were pretty involved with the Ontario Craft Brewers Association before. Have you kept tabs? I mean, obviously the most governing bodies have other priorities right now, but would you say the landscape has improved? I mean, you've been from, I guess you went from Kathleen Wynn to, to uh, Doug Ford who did, did give a lot of lip service to beer and mentioned beer a lot. Do you think that the landscape has improved for craft brewers in there in that regard? Let me just acknowledge Kathleen Wynn for um, providing the OCB with uh, this, you know, Ontario craft brewers with considerable opportunities specifically in the beer store mm-hmm. in terms of the requirements for a percentage of uh, craft sales in, in those stores, a minimum percentage of 20%. So, um, you know, it's, uh, that has made a big difference. And uh, the new government, I haven't, again, I haven't been around. Um, yeah. I know they were interested in Bucket Beer, which isn't really a, an offering that the craft breweries are uh, deeply involved with. Some of them may do it, but it doesn't, it's not a perfect fit. I think you could uh, but, say roundly criticized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he maybe changed his perspective on that once yeah. uh, he saw um, where, where it went. But, uh, now, now the province is is all about, and, and I'm back on the board, uh, uh, the board of the Ontario Craft Brewers Association, which I'm happy about. And, and I mean, it's just a has a great history of of lob- lobbying for small brewers, regardless of whether they believed in it or not. Um, you know, Kathleen Wynn again is a, Kathleen Wynn's initiatives are a good example of that. We we're deeply involved with that. So, no, I think it's again, craft beers are very well positioned politically. I mean, it's a no-brainer. We're, we're locally brewed. You employ your neighbors, all this great stuff. Yeah. Well, it's all the talking points that you and I have known for 10 or 25 years in your case. But yeah. it's yeah. interesting how the government never seized on it, I guess. You know, lobby dollars talk. And we've talked about the, how Ontario craft beer could lobby better. So I, I, I'm still hoping that that improves. And I'm glad to see that maybe someone's finally listening in the government, I mean. Yeah, I mean, again, you mentioned dollars. The Ontario Craft Brewers Association is very limited in its funding because yeah. the funding that it received from the local government is, is no longer available. So, um, but lobbying, you know, dollars make a difference, but so does common sense. And uh, in the situation today, it's just, just a lot of common sense in investing in, in craft brewers. We have uh, uh, we employed more new manufacturing jobs than any other sector of manufacturing in Ontario. Yeah. So um, it's, it's just, just so much opportunity. 
Yeah, the job creation piece is a no-brainer. You're obviously taking a hit now. A lot of a lot of people have been laid off at craft breweries for you know yes. temporary. But I think yeah. you're going to need to push tourism pretty hard once we're on the other side of this too. And what better to bring tourism to Ontario than craft beer? I mean, every time I go anywhere, the first thing I do is seek out the local beer, right? No, it's a huge part, huge part of tourism, and, and uh, I think is really acknowledged these days. It took a while to, for people to realize people are coming to town and one of their main priorities is to try the local craft beers. What? Yeah. yeah. That's the way it is. That's the concierge, they'll tell you. It's a different OCB than it was probably when you left. So I'll be interested to hear how things have changed from your perspective uh, from then versus now. Folks, you know what I like? Beer. I know, it's shocking. I also like food. And there's nothing I like more than enjoying a beer and some good food that were both prepared under the same roof. That's why when I'm in Toronto, I like to go to the Indie Ale House. Located in the junction, the Indie Ale House offers a beer style for everyone and an excellent menu. I don't live in Toronto anymore, but when I go there now, uh, Indie is actually usually my first stop. The first thing I do when I get to Toronto is to go to Indie for a Nashville hot fried chicken sandwich and an Instigator IPA or even a Safe Word Pale Ale. Mmm. Indy now offers free delivery in the GTA with a $15 flat rate for delivery in Ontario with a minimum purchase of 12 beers. Toronto's Indy Ale House. You can check them out in the Junction or in their second location inside Italy. Their new patio is opening soon. One thing that's on my list that I always want to talk to you about is baseball. Um, I still I'll never get over you guys getting kicked out of the dome. Like you work so hard to get in there. It drives me crazy that the Toronto Blue Jays are the only team in Major League Baseball that don't make any sort of effort to support craft beer. You guys finally got in the door. I mean, you don't have to rehash the story, but I mean, I'm hoping that's still on your radar because it's friggin' right there. Like it's right across the street. I don't know why you don't. If you guys could have a bridge with beer being piped in, it would be amazing. Yeah, that was a very, it was a great summer for us. It just was so natural. I mean, a lot of people come to the roundhouse for a beer before the game and, and afterwards. Some people even stay uh, during the game and watch. But, uh, and then, then we were in there. You know, we were only in one spot, I think, but people were excited. Um, it was nice to be considered. And, and again, I think you've said this before, we're the, the closest craft route to any major baseball field. Yeah. And yet not, we're not offered in, inside the, uh, the building. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, I, all I'll say about that is pure politics, right? Yeah. We, we, were, we were doing pretty well out of one fridge, but that was too much. Yeah, I was doing my part. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. A lot of craft beer fans were. And, and again, even though we're, we're, you know, we're a gateway craft beer, I think people acknowledge, okay, that these guys are legit. They have craft beer across the street. It's all natural, maybe spring water. They've been doing it for years. Yeah, I'll support that. And um, so, you know, we we welcome having an opportunity to get back in there when things are come back to normal, and you know, I'll connect with those guys again. But uh, yeah, there's there's a, as you can imagine, there's a lot involved in in sponsorship of that team. Uh, it's yeah. Well, I mean, there's a, the word Budweiser is written in right field in you know, 15 foot high letters, so there's yeah. no surprises there. It's it's just there's been so much lip service paid to 
the fan experience and improving fan experience. And it's shocking to me that there's always kind of like a flirting. Yeah, we're going to improve beer. They even sent out a survey to season ticket holders once asking if people would like an improved beer selection at ball games. And I was like, okay, here we go. Something. And then nothing. So, I mean, you, you know, can, ben, I, I think certainly wrapped up. I, I, one of the things I can't recall if we've ever talked about this, but it's actually the structure of distribution in the States that provides the opportunity to craft, craft test the distributors they understand the consumer and they're not about to just put a couple of beers in there. They're going to put a selection in there because they want to get, keep everybody happy. And they're also very smart to what the expectations are. And craft is a huge part of beer in the U S and it's part of what people expect when they go to the game, to yeah. any, any sports game now. Right. So because the distributor has way more uh, leverage over what happens inside the stadium compared to in Canada, where, it's really the brewer that has the leverage. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you could go to the Jays affiliate Buffalo Bisons, and they have they have a craft beer festival on their field. Like, they're it's a exactly. it's a better fan experience. You can get craft beer at Coors Field for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. no distributor in between the larger breweries in Canada and the licensees. Um, well, if there is one, of course, it happens to be owned by the beer store. So, right. Uh, although I. So I love the beer store. I know you do. <laughs> we love the beer store. But that, it's just that, just talking about how, what the structure is, right? And, and why you'll go across the border and have much better selection in these major golf. Yeah. Yeah, the beer store. So that's maybe, a, that's an OCB issue that I, I've talked to smaller brewers before that have said the, they feel like the OCB has been largely um, committed to working within the system as opposed to changing the system. And one of the things I would hear is that small brewers didn't want to do business with the beer store and they felt that the big guys like you and maybe Bose and Amsterdam wanted, you know, you're doing quite well in the beer store. So there isn't, there isn't a desire to shake that up, but I, I think it's kind of shaken itself up at this point. I mean, the beer store is hemorrhaging money. If you look at their financial reports, it looks like they took a $22 million loss this year or something. Yeah. There's no question that grocery is, is affected that I, I would, go back to our earlier conversation with baseball and say that I've always felt that at the time when we started, I think 82% of consumers were buying their beer in the beer store. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously that, that has changed considerably and the LCBO has done a great job of retailing beer, but for those consumers who are going in the beer store, shouldn't they get an opportunity to have selection of craft beers? I mean, do, do we really, should crappery stand in the way of offering that selection? unless we believe that change is going to come immediately. Now, I've always felt that, you know, you work on change, but you work on your relationship as well. And, and uh, we determined early in the early going Stimuso, that we wanted to be available to those at the time, 82% of beer consumers. Mm -hmm. So when we did this, you wouldn't believe it, Ben, like we had some people in craft beer were very upset with us and met with us and said, you need to pull out of the beer store. And, and then that's the way to fight the fight. And our argument is, no, no, that's not the way to fight the fight. The way to fight the fight is, is joining in lobbying. And look what happened with Kathleen Wynn. Suddenly there's, there's more opportunity in the beer store and the craft brewery. So I think, and the truth is, again, I've been doing this since 1988. It's changed. Mm -hmm. The beer store is still a major player. And a lot of people like to go there. In fact, I'll tell you right now, as we speak, then beer store sales have really, really grown because the LCBO struggles with their lineups. 
Um, you know, they, whereas the beer store has very few lineups, access to beer and several larger packs. Another political issue, the LCBO still to this day only allows consumers to buy six packs. So, um, you know, you can dig into what's happening there, but the truth is in an era where people want to do make fewer shopping trips, a 2-4 is starting to make a lot of sense. Yeah. And our sales reflect that. Now, a lot of craft breweries aren't in the beer store and or don't have 2-4s. So they are yet to be in a position to take advantage of, of consumer trends. And, and But I'll finish by saying consumer trends are, the consumer is so important. The consumer is in charge. The real change, I think, has been in, in opportunities with uh, the grocery, for example, which is, am I mistaken? I think that was Kathleen Wynn as well, was it not? Oh, yeah. Well, no, you'll get, I, I, I think Kathleen Wynn did a, a lot for craft beer. I mean, as much as you can do when you're, you know, beholden to some lobbyists. But yeah, I, I, I'm happy with, I'm happy with groceries, but it was always a little weird to me that they handed the ability to open stores to a sort of a third party. When you have craft brewers that have been lobbying to be able to open their own stores for years, and then all of a sudden it was like, mm, you can't sell your own product in a store, but Galen Weston can, for example. Like, I've always thought the way to blow up this market overnight is to let craft brewers open their own stores and let them cross sell up to 50% other people's products. Then you could have one store away from your brewery. I mean, you're in downtown Toronto, so people come to you to buy beer, but a lot of people, they can't afford real estate in places with lots of foot traffic, but if they can have a store away from their brewery, somewhere else, just have one store and they can sell their buddies beers, the market would just be crazy overnight. I love it. I think if the government is, I don't know what's going on there. One of the things is, you know, the beer store is owned by the large brewers and maybe they don't want to take steps where more of the stores are owned by brewers, but really. I think that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Fundamentally, it's, you have a great idea. OCB has lobbied for that a long, for a long time now. And, you know, someday, now that we're in our grocery stores, you got me excited about this again. It's a great idea. Good. Sweet. I'll take credit for it if it happens. Absolutely. <laughs> so you guys are well positioned. I think, like, obviously, the times being what they are, it's, it's a little odd. But, I mean, I think you're... I think you've got a lot of potential with Steam Whistle. And I, I think it's definitely worth noting that Erica is now your brewmaster. Erica is a very talented brewmaster, great person. Uh, is there a design? I mean, you just said you're going to hold off on new beer creation, but to sort of let Erica develop some new beers, is that like, where, where do you think you coming back, a new brewmaster being named? Like, what does the future hold for Steam Whistle there? Well, you know, I'm really excited about Erica having that opportunity she really deserves it and she's worked for 10 years under two czech brewmasters which as you can imagine i'm sure wasn't easy uh for her learned so much and she's so uh i think she's really respected by the, the craft brewing community and and she was very involved in all those beers that we have developed since i left um, you know the, most of them are hers i think at the exception of i think i don't know von bugle i think she was partnering with the uh, Merrick Makunda, or, um, I think he came back to help with that. But yeah, she's done an incredible job. And so we, if we can do, listen, we can do whatever we want to do, really, in terms of next steps in, in beers, because we've got that team. And, and I want to mention one of the things uh, about Erica becoming brewmaster is, is change for Steam Whistle. Is, and I think we've matured um, in terms of the industry, uh, Steam Whistle 
is in a position now where we don't really need to rely on these accredited uh, Czech brewers to, to be here. Um, we're, we, Canada can stand on its own now. It's fabulous. Like think about 20 years earlier, 25 years ago, how many really good brewmasters were there in Canada? Like right. I'm telling you, there might have been 10. Right. And now so much experience has been brought to the industry as a result of the experimentation and, and, uh, and then the consistency built in, in popular beers for each craft brewery. So, you know, we're in a great position back to the COVID thing. We're all Canadian. Our brewmaster is Canadian. And uh, I, I think it's just more local than ever. So, yeah, we're well positioned to, to do whatever we need to do in terms of next steps with beer. I could tell you candidly that more than one Steam Whistle employee emailed me to tell me that you were coming back because they were happy and they'd seen me, obviously the comments I had made around the purity seal and maybe suggesting steam whistle had lost its way. So people are excited that you're coming back and they, they wanted me to know. So <laughs> I'll leave that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. It's nice to hear that. But I think, you know, my job uh, when I come into work in the morning is to, is to contribute to people's days to make people, uh, to make sure they're enjoying their work and, and that they um, are inspired by where we're going and, and, I, my theory always has been that if, if you're able to accomplish that as a leader, you, you'll go great places, you'll be competitive, you'll make money. All these things will fall into place. But you cannot forget that, you know, the most important person in our business right now is not me talking to you on the phone, but whoever is, is working on the line right now, um, the brewers, the guys in filtration, uh, the, the drivers, these people are essential. Without them, you would not be able to buy our product in the stores. And, you know, because I started as a driver, Ben, that's the way I see the business. You know, right. the, those, those are the essential staff and thank God for them. So, so if I'm bringing anything back to the business, that's what, that's what I, I'm bringing back. And I think that probably if you ask the people that were involved with seeing me come back, that's what they felt um, could improve. Well, I'm excited to see what's next, man. I'm, I'm excited myself. It's really nice to be back, and, and thanks for your consideration. It's yeah. good to catch up with people in the industry. And uh, Yeah, well, thanks for doing the show. It'll be my first one, so no one will listen. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> right on. That's great. But, yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, keep in touch. Say hi to Sybil for me. I will. I'll, I'll definitely pass that along. And, and if you're in town, uh, when things open up, come, down, come on down to the brewery. And, and I don't know if you've been to the beer garden. but uh, I haven't. I've heard great things. No, we, we pour Seamusel Pilsner uh, right off the bright beer tank. Nice. So it's really like the freshest beer, freshest Pilsner you can imagine. And, and uh, so let's sit down in the beer market and catch up over the beer. Well, do, man. As soon as baseball is back, I'll come to Toronto. <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait for that. Thanks for listening. Be sure and wash your hands.